being a school principal might just be the most interrupted job on the planet. Every celebration, classroom party, and great lesson in the school, you're invited. Every difficult conversation with a parent whose child is not behaving or with a teacher who's chronically late to work, you're there too. And every emergency in the building with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in it, it's your emergency. And on top of all that, you are responsible every day for the safety of the world's most precious asset, our children. How do they do it? We're here to find out, here in the principal's office. Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Gorski from Leaders Building Leaders, where our mission is to be the difference maker in the leadership development of individuals and organizations. If you want to learn more about what we do here at Leaders Building Leaders, please visit our website. It is www.leaders-building-leaders.com. Well, today I am very excited to bring you our interview with Mr. Alex Quigley. Alex is one of the most impressive people that I have met in school leadership. And as you will learn, he has always taken on the hard jobs, whether as a teacher in rural Mississippi or as the new school leader at Healthy Start Academy in Durham, North Carolina, or, or even as the chair of North Carolina's Charter School Advisory Board, where they meet each month to decide the fate of new and underperforming charter schools. This interview is filled with really high-impact strategies and really interesting opinions that help Alex mold both the school that he leads and really the future of charter schools across North Carolina. So please buckle up, settle in, and enjoy our interview with Alex Quigley. Thank you, Alex, for making a few minutes for the Principal's Office podcast today. I know you're a busy man, and uh, this time together, um, I'd like to ask you just a few questions to share with people across North Carolina and across uh, across the country that might listen in and want to hear what you have to say about school leadership. Well, th- thanks for having me. I, I listen to the podcast myself and find them really really valuable. I love getting inside the heads of other other school leaders and trying to replicate what, what works. So, uh, you know, I just, I, I feel honored to be able to, to be on the other side. Thank so. you. Wonderful. Well, let's, let's start here. Because um, I've never asked you about this, Alex, and I'm really curious. You have four children. I have three children. <laughs> How is Alex the dad different from Alex the school leader? <laughs> Uh, I, I would say that I am, uh, I am not as structured and consistent and routine oriented as Alex, the dad, than, uh, than Alex, the school leader and much to my wife's chagrin. And I try at times to, to tell her that, Hey, I actually am really good at this at school. And she says, reminds me that it doesn't matter. And, uh, and my kids are at home. So I think uh, I actually really am working on bringing some things that I feel like often come naturally to me in a school, as, a, as a principal in, into, my, into my home life. Setting vision and direction, having a consistent routine and sticking to it, uh, setting goals uh, for, for our family and for my individual student, uh, kids and talking to them about what their goals are. And I, those are things that you know, we've done some of bringing into our into our home life, but uh, I, that's something that I really want to grow in my kind of family leadership, and that is kind of in it's part of my personal growth as a family leader. It's funny how that works. My wife and I were both educators, and we sometimes look at each other late in the night and say, "How can I lead a classroom of twenty five kids or a school of five hundred kids to good behavior?" Yet look at this house a hundred percent agree yeah. <laughs> you, you i i often i i've said i i actually got i have like four i've gotten 500 kids to to listen to me at one time yeah. and i can't i can't get one of my children to listen to me <laughs> today <laughs> yeah it, i think in some ways it's it's even more frustrating uh for those of us that are that are in schools and work with kids but i think there's there's something about they know your kids know your own children know your best and your worst they know who you are to it to a fault um that's who you, that's your true person and i think uh that that vulnerability and intimacy really uh it, it, it makes everyone more comfortable for better or for worse so uh 
you know, so definitely an area that that I want to grow in. Right. Well, see, so, so right now you are the school leader at Healthy Start Academy in Durham. I previously know you as the school leader at Maureen Joy in Durham and at PAVE, uh, which is an organization that has schools in North Carolina and in New York. Yes. Um, what draws you to work in schools that are surrounded by underperforming schools? Uh, I, I think that I've had the opportunity in my uh, work in education over the last um, what's now, uh, gosh, 19 years about um, to, you know, coming through the Teach for America program, working in, in rural Mississippi Delta in some of the most impoverished schools in the country. Uh, the first school that I, I worked in, Quibbon County Elementary School, was actually this, uh, I believe, the second lowest performing school uh, in the state of Mississippi mm. at, at the time. And um, that school has has since uh, gone through a transformation, which is exciting. I've, I've actually read about it recently. But I think having that entrance into the field of education and seeing that how a school can transform uh, kids' lives, transform a community and for, for good, and knowing what's possible with kids. Um, and, and I think particularly when you have... Uh, schools that are serving a, a population that where there's lots of underperforming options and not strong options the the addition of a strong option or a school that is truly successful is a game changer uh, because un- unfortunately kids are often in low-income communities or low-income communities are confined to the worst and lowest performing schools <clears throat> and that is, I think, something that is a is a true failure uh, of our country, and uh, in many ways, I see as as you know an issue of civil rights that the that the kids and families that have the least are are then provided the the, the worst performing schools, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's to me I, I don't it's hard for me to think about working in education and in just working in a school that's different than that because that's been my entire experience so and durham is when north carolina is concerned durham is a county that has a very high percentage of students that are in charter schools yes and do you feel like that's making that that choice for families of durham is making the impact that you hope it would okay so i think in durham you yes there are a lot of options there are a lot of charter options there are also a lot of traditional public school options. So the district has a number of magnet schools. They have uh, an early college. They have, they have now have a K-8 school and two 6-8 schools, which are unique. So I think parents in Durham have a lot of options, and charter schools are part of that. The district is also providing some of those. Are, are we kind of realizing the vision of, of that we would have for charter schools or realizing the vision for school choice? I, you know, I would say no, because until every kid has an outstanding educational option for them to choose from that's free and accessible, the answer is always going to be no. Mm-hmm. And we're not there yet. Yeah. What's interesting to me is is the 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 charter school or the all traditional public schools and charter schools are measured with a performance grade. Yes. A through F, um, and yet we have full. F charter schools where families decide to go regardless of where they're districted and their districted schools performance grade. Where are you in the thought of of that grade accurately showing what the school offers or, or what they what a parent is getting by coming to a school based on performance grade? Yeah, I think that the grade can be a helpful uh, accountability mechanism for the school. I think it can be a helpful communication tool, and I think that the revisions of the school report card system have been beneficial to make it more clear. That I also think that it, it will never reflect and encompass uh, all the good things or all the bad things that are happening in the school. You can have an A school that is that the the story is there's a there's a lot of things that are lacking 
in that A school. You can have an F school that's doing really great at growing a specific group of students, but that's not reflected in that grade. I also think that, you know, obviously there's an ongoing debate about how much growth should be weighted versus uh, proficiency. Um, you know, I, I kind of could go back and forth on that. Uh, I think that not changing things right now is actually valuable just in the sense is that as, you know, with the Common Core realignment, with the new testing realignment, with the school report card grades, I think we gain traction by keeping things consistent because we then set goals around those things. We make adjustments around mm -hmm. around those curricular uh, uh, targets, uh, proficiency targets, growth targets. So I think consistency is actually a, a value add to help schools drive towards improvement. Uh, so I'm kind of in favor of just leave it like it is and let us let us push to to for all of us that need to grow in whatever way that we need to grow in. But yeah, I, I think it's it's obviously a, a, a limited measure, but I think it's important and valuable at the same time. Because you are, you do have, I think in, in the absence of something like that, it is hard, I think it can be hard for non-educators to understand succinctly how to judge or evaluate a school. And I do think that part of the state's job is to do that for them. Part of the charter school advisory board is to do that for parents and hold schools accountable. So I, I see value in it uh, as as tough as it can be, you know, to be a school that is not does not have a strong letter grade. In and at the same time, there's a check and balance, right? So if you're a, if you're a low performing school, it's an F or a D and you're exceeding the growth expectation for your school that can overcome or overshadow or or shine through stronger than your proficiency level absolutely absolutely and i think that that's one of the most important things in north carolina is that we have we look at growth and and we look at um we look at proficiency both those things are critically important they tell us different types of information we we need both of them and uh you know i think teachers and schools are often probably more inspired by hitting those growth targets because it, you know, it is as we start where you start so you start the year with the students that you have and you're able to say okay if I can grow these students more than a grade level a year we're going to exceed growth and that's going to have that that will have a, a compound impact the, the key is to relay that and do it year after year because if you grow kids more than a grade level year after year then you're then then you're really putting kids on a path, particularly students that come in behind, uh, a path to having the the choices that that they should, uh, I I believe, be able to have regardless of their zip code, regardless of their race, regardless of their their economic background. Alex, in this school, Healthy Start Academy, no matter how much faith you put in the letter system. The fact is that this school has received four F grades in a row, and you're tasked with changing that. Yes. So what are some of the things that you look for as indicators of progress in a failing school that they're, they're, that they're making improvement? Yeah, I would say um, the first thing is you have, I would say, on the quantitative data side, I mean, we, you, have to, you have to look at our kids' learning. And, uh, you know, I have, I have a variety of ways that I measure that. And I'm sure some are, you know, a lot of the folks that would listen to this know, know, have this similar way. So I, you know, and, and I think that there's obviously the big ticket items like an interim assessment. Um, then there is the day-to-day -day metrics of our kids learning. And for us, you know, we're, we're looking closely at exit tickets and weekly quizzes to see our students making progress and um, I think that those that's number one you know I need to see quantitatively can am I able to demonstrate that changes being put in place or are, are showing some kind of growth or that we're making po positive movements towards our, our goal um, I think there are other that that's what I would I, I would tag as quantitative then within that there's or in addition to student, you know, our students learning, then it's kind of like our teachers learning and our teachers growing, or are the targets that we're setting for, are we making progress towards the targets we're setting 
for teachers. Now that could be as granular as specific action steps that we're setting for individual teachers that I think at a bigger level, it's it, I, right now, one thing that I'm focused on and my team is focused on is just consistency. Because I think that in a school where, you know, as you said, for F grades, we, I, you know, one of my general theories with, with that is, you know, we're, we're not consistently executing on a set of priorities or curricular decisions or um, objectives. And because uh, I, th I think when you when schools are able to kind of set a priority and then win on that priority, they make gr students grow. And so in order to do that the, cr across the board, the, you have to be working as a team. Um, all hands have to be on deck. And you have to be consistent in your execution of those things that you say on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. This is what we're going to win on. And so I, I think that's a big thing that I'm, I'm using to evaluate progress is say, have we set something in motion? Have we said we're gonna do something and actually have we followed through on it? Mm -hmm. Have we um, set something as a priority and are we making progress towards that priority? Because I can see it daily in, in the implementation of, you know, whatever that, that priority that we've uh, established as, and said this is important in order for kids to move. So you're looking at goals and benchmarks kind of at different time, time frames starting from right now. Where do we want to be? Are we measuring up against that? Earlier we were talking about kind of what it takes to win the day. And that's the smallest measurement, right? That yeah, absolutely. That, so how do you ensure, how do you help teachers know that they're winning the day with their kids? Yeah, I think... Um, one of those ways is, here's the thing, as schools, every day at a school, there is a battle going on between the plan and uh, everything else. I, I just, I, I think as a teacher, as a principal, as a person that's trying to drive a school forward, you can either drive the school or you can sit in the seat and let it drive you. Every kid that comes in, every kid has their own set of things that they would rather be doing potentially. They have, and it's not malicious, they're just kids. Mm -hmm. Every teacher, there has, they have lives. They have other things that are on their mind. I have other things that in my personal life that might be on my mind. Uh, there are all their parents. There's just an unrelenting just waterfall of potential distractions and I think you win the day by executing the plan and by ex setting having a routine following through on that routine executing doing what you said you were going to do so as a teacher that's your lesson plan that's the assessment that you said that's the um, uh, following through on the routines and procedures that you have rolled out and falling through on those consistently time and time and time again so that students know what to expect at every moment in the day. And as a school leader, it's setting a clear plan for the day, making sure that, that, that you're in rooms, that you're having the meetings that you said you were going to have, that you're, you have identified your priorities, you know, going back to three months out to one month out to one weekend to the day. What are you going to do on that specific day that's going to drive student achievement? And can you actually fall through and do those things? And I, because there is such a, I think there is so many forces that are trying to drag you away from that. Uh, I think we win the day by saying this is a plan for today and we're going to, we're executing on it. Today we said that we were going to, um, we're going to, we're going to teach, you know, lesson three in unit five and lesson three is on, you know, context clues. And that's what we said in the plan. And no, we, we, at the end of the day, we're not saying, well, you know, this, you know, the students didn't really, they didn't seem like they really understood that. So I went back and taught, uh, you know, I, well, I went back and then I, I, I retaught everything that I did yesterday, but we didn't get to that. Now we're off track. Now we're not going to give the mm -hmm. quiz. Sometimes that may seem like the right decision at the time. In my experience, your job is to, and, and our job is to st stick to the plan to drive things forward and then 
through the other structures that you have in place, go back and reteach where you need to. Build in your reteaches in a planned way into the lesson. You should. That's not something that we're winging. We have a plan and a system to reteach so that that's not something that in the moment you make a snap decision. Um, now there's, there's a, and I think there's a real difference between kind of, yes, you can, there's lots of data you can respond to in the moment, but when everything gets off track, you're, you're, you're driving a train to nowhere. This stretch of the school year, February and March, I think is, is the hardest time to keep with that consistency. In the first half of the year, you're learning the kids, you, you've got a new system or you've got a, a new outlook. Uh, November and December, there's a lot of interruptions. You get back here and between the new year and April, May, when you're crunching down to testing time, February and March are just a battle. It's hard to keep myself as an educator on track. It's hard to keep my kids on track. There's no holidays anymore in February and March. What is your message like to, to the adults at the school and the kids at the school to, to achieve that consistency and have the grit and persistence to, to keep trucking right now? Yeah, I think that as a leader, I need to model excitement and energy around this time of the year. And I actually am super excited about this time of the year because there are no holidays. There are hopefully no more snow days. And we have a lot of five-day weeks stacked on top of each other. Mm. So to me, five-day weeks mean routine, consistency, uh, fewer interruptions, fewer disruptions. And we have just we have a nice set chunk of time to teach in, in a very focused and clear way. And I think talking to teachers about that and saying, yeah, like, oh, thank goodness I finally have, you know, we got a five-day week coming up, it's great. You know, and, you know, because for a minute there with all those snow days, it, it was a, we were getting used to having, uh, you know, working a couple days and then taking the rest of the week off. And so um, I think as a leader, you need to model the excitement around uh, the, the grind and really, you know, lean into the struggle that is this chunk of time um, because <clears throat> and it's something that I've been talking to kids about you know because we've gone through a lot of meteor assessment and I've you know I've been talking to kids like yeah it's the winter we're gauging where we are and now we're going to accelerate mm-hmm. forward towards the end of the year and really push so this is where we we really start to raise the bar and you um, celebrate your growth and then you just you, we, we focus down and we work even harder and so I think as a leader, your sincere excitement to 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 be at work every day and, and be driving things forward is uh, contagious. And I think if you don't if you don't have it, you got to manufacture it. Uh, and otherwise, people are going to they're going to sink into that place where they're thinking about how hard things are, uh, how uh, they're tired. And it's a long way until the break. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, I love, I, I think this time of the year, this is prime time. This is prime time. Like, you've got to suck every, every morsel, every, every, every ounce of, of juice out of, out of, out of um, the learning time that you have during, the, during that February and March uh, kind of uh, push into the spring. Time and time again on this podcast and my visits to charter schools across North Carolina, I've heard school leaders talk about how, you know, you have to, you have, like you said, you have to infect your staff with that energy. You have to infect your kids with that energy. And all of that works in symphony in order to make the school push through hard times. In my opinion, it's when that, when there's a breakdown of that energy among the teachers that it has the biggest effect on learning. So from your perspective, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, with the teachers being the most, being the executors in the field, you know, you're thinking about how I can get that message to them so it gets down to the kids. What does it take, though? Because this world, I've been a teacher in this, in, in this world. What does it take for a teacher to have that mindset and that grit to keep pushing? What do you look for in, in someone who you trust to keep that train going at this time of year? Um, one, 
you know, I'm sure Eric Sanchez said on, I, I can't remember if he said, you know, humble, hungry, and smart. And, you know, I've, I've stolen that from him in terms of what, what I'm looking for. I think this is a time of year where hungry comes in to play. So as at really any time, but I think you, those folks that are uh, excited in the same way that, that I'm excited to see kids grow and to be able to, you know, I want that teacher telling me, kind of echoing back that same thing that oh man I and I literally had a teacher say this the other day like I'm so glad we have five day weeks <laughs> because she knows she wants to teach and she knows that when the kids are consistent when we get in that routine the kids are uh, the behavior is going to be better she's going to be able to execute on her plan and that's what she wants to do the other thing is I'm look <clears throat> it take the I'm looking for us to celebrate the growth that comes from all of the mid-year assessments, right? So, you know, nothing succeeds like success, right? Nothing, uh, there's no better motivator than actually feeling like you're making progress. Sure, we can have, in my mind, you, you know, you can have, we can have staff get-togethers, we can, you know, you can do, uh, you know, team builders and things like that. Uh, but for me, the thing that gets me cranked is looking at a class and saying okay your class grew grew a ton what do you think is working let's have that conversation one let's celebrate that mm -hmm. so uh here's here's your average growth here's what's happened what are what do you think what are the two things that you've done that have really pushed that okay how do we replicate that how can we celebrate that and i think i think teachers I believe that fundamentally most teachers, more than anything, they want to be successful. It's frustrating when they're, when they're going hard all day and kids aren't learning. And I think to see kids grow is the biggest motivator. So I think one thing that I'm, I'm thinking about is, okay, you get that out of mid-year assessments, but how do, we, how do we celebrate that and capture that in, a more, in smaller windows of time? Because it, it does feel it can feel like a really long time if you're not um you know frankly if you're not looking at data and celebrating growth towards towards goals in a in a shorter shorter uh window than you know what what is more common which is like three times a year yeah yeah so i i love what you said success begets success I mean, that's what yeah that's what makes you want to practice more that success makes you want to keep pushing keep doing things it makes you want to grow more so I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I don't play much golf, but I, you know, and I'm not good, but when I hit that one drive that goes long and straight, I am, I could be in the worst mindset in the last three holes. And then I hit that one drive that goes long and straight and I am completely bought in for go. the next, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's all a race, right? Because right. I did it. I was able to yeah. do that one thing. So I think it's just, you know. You can be so frustrated, but then it and feel like the class is not making you're not getting traction, and then you see oh, we've actually you're complete you're bought in all, all over again, mm -hmm. and and I think the important thing is making sure that you, we're able to tie back, and when it does both when it happens and when it doesn't happen that the day-to-day -day decisions and actions the minute-by-minute -minute decisions and actions that we make as school leaders and then and that teachers make are the determinant of whether or not you see that green when <laughs> you see those growth numbers that you want to see. Right. All right, so we've heard about Alex, the dad, a little bit. We've heard about Alex, the teacher in Mississippi and the school leader here. One more hat that you wear is as the current chair of the Charter School Advisory Board in North Carolina. And... Yes. For those of you who don't know, the State Board of Education here in North Carolina leans on the Charter School Advisory Board to monitor, make recommendations on things like charter school policy, uh, new school openings, operations, closings, things like yes. that. So it's always interesting to me to attend the advisory board. I think that there's something every single time that that I go home talking about <laughs> I get to visit. And I think everybody in North Carolina Charter School should take a field trip like once a year and, and see what that process looks <laughs> well, like. Well, they can just listen in online, Oh, you can too. listen. That's true. Um, so f from your perspective, as the, the governing body, 
a part of the governing body over charter schools. Mm-hmm. What do you wish that people knew about the charter school advisory board that they typically do not? Hmm. I think I think people generally get this. I think it's probably less common with I don't know, sometimes with new applicants, but just that the charter school advisory board in the state of North Carolina, that every school is, uh, uh, this is something that I've, I've tried to hit on a number of times in meetings. Once, particularly at the new application phase, but then certainly at the renewal phase and just the ongoing oversight, every charter school is a multi-million dollar state grant to a nonprofit corporation. Because that's essentially what it is, right? Every charter school is a nonprofit and even if they contract with a for-profit EMO, there's a nonprofit board that holds that charter. And they're a nonprofit, and what they do is run a school. And they have won a multi-million dollar state grant to do what they do. And uh, I think that I take that really seriously, I, both in the, in the, in the ongoing uh, management and success and renewal of schools and and also at the at the applicant phase and I think that um, so the example that I've, I've cited a couple times at meetings is you know on average <clears throat> if you took I think the average school size kind of rolled them all up and came up with okay this is your average school it's by year three it'll have 500 kids on average and if you figure the average initial charter is now a five-year charter um, that if you on average every application in every school is something like you know it's a 15 million dollar five-year grant if you were to apply to a foundation for a 15 million dollar five-year grant i'm going to tell you there is going to be a serious process and it is going to be highly competitive and it the bar is going to be very high and, and then to re-up that grant the next year, you're going to have to deliver on the goods. And so I think uh, I take obviously seriously the, the, the work as a charter school principal uh, and the stewardship of those state funds that we have been granted uh, as a charter school. I take that very seriously. And uh, I would, I would kind of, I kind of want people to understand what an amazing gift and privilege uh, that the taxpayers of North Carolina have. In, where you, it's an investment in uh, an educational innovation that, and, and through, in some ways, we're, we are helping as our, our body helps decide who who gets access to these funds, both new charters and ongoing charters. Um, and we're helping the state board, you know, make those big time decisions uh, about um, state state funds. And I I would I would I think I just want people to really just sit on that and really think this is a fifteen million dollar multi year state grant. There's not many grants that you can apply to for at the state level at the foundation level where the foundations will commit to you for five years. Where they'll, and certainly not for that amount of money, and certainly not, um, you know, in, in some cases, an unproven nonprofit or a, a nonprofit that doesn't have a great track record. So I think that's one reason why I think we take the application process seriously, we take the renewal process seriously, we evaluate the board carefully, we try to evaluate uh, if it's an existing school, their plan carefully. Um, to me, this is these are these are significant decisions, and I think everybody gets that. But I think sometimes we get too comfortable. You know, we get too comfortable thinking, well, you know, they're giving a lot of charters out, so I should be able to get a charter, or um, which is not too true. We've we've raised the bar significantly, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's something that I'm I'm really proud of to be uh, have been part of the board. But also, or that we've had a charter, so we ju- should just continue to have a charter. I think that has to be the difference from the traditional public schools. That, no, <laughs> it's one, uh, the biggest piece of accountability is the selection process and the renewal process. We have a rigorous bar for entry. We have a, we have a, you, uh, you know, uh, a, 
a rigorous evaluation and ongoing renewal process. And so I think that that is something that traditional schools don't have to do. And we have traded uh, the accountability that comes, you know, we basically said, we'll take flexibility, give me flexibility. And that's what I would want as a school year. I want to control my curriculum, budget, staffing. Um, and we've traded that uh, flexibility f- with the flip side of saying, but we will be held accountable. So uh, yes, you can, you know, hold us accountable with the school report card grades, but you're also going to, you have a whole nother thing going on where uh, you're going to, you're going to sit, you have a group of people saying, uh, at the state board level and then the charter school advisory board saying is this chart is this group of people uh, should they or do they deserve to have this uh, opportunity this really grant of state funds and and if they're already in existence should they should they uh, be able to continue to do to do the work that they've promised to do and or say that they want to do for the state of North Carolina, for the kids of North Carolina. And I, I, I think that's just, one, it's, it's special that, that, you know, we as charters are able to um, innovate and be flexible. And I think school districts want to do a lot of that and want to learn from it. Um, I also think it's something that I take really seriously as a member of the charter board to in ensuring that we're making good decisions. I also think it's important that there is a reason why it's not a computer making a decision, that it's not just the application. It's not just put in a bunch of information and it spits out. That's, that's why we, we're, I think that the, the group of people is assembled to use their experience, their opinions, their, um, their analysis of the board members sitting in front of them the what they know of the state of the location i think we it's not something that it's not a decision that could be made simply by a computer or simply by you know we even have external evaluators but they alone could not be making the decision simply based on the application itself there is a there's so much nuance to these decisions um so i think that's important for folks to know as well yeah i think that the biggest challenge that i see in in the job of the Charter School Advisory Board is the fact that on one hand, you do have to speak for the public to say, is this a good investment? We're going to ask all the questions we have to to get to the answer. Is this a good investment of public dollars into this group of people to offer what they want to offer, what they can offer to their community? And at the same time, to, to foster innovation, right? So you've got this, this balance between saying approving what you know will work based on your opinions as accomplished educators with the idea that charter schools are made to be innovative centers of learning and and i don't envy you to have to make that balance because that's it doesn't always equal doesn't always match sure yes i mean i think that's i think that in many ways is the nuance and why it can't be done it's got to be done by a group of individuals it's like shark tank it really is shark tank you know you come in there you have your your idea and you have your plan and you know hopefully we're i think that we're on the board because we either have personal experience in running schools or we have a background uh a policy background or a um you know uh understanding of the the political environment the financial environment uh the community environment and you know we but you know you come in and you have your your plan and and i think we are trying to decide yes does is this the right intersection of innovation and effectiveness because really those are the two things it's like are they innovative are they effective is there a need? Because that's important too. And I think marrying those things together, when we when those things are kind of come together, and we can we can marry those things, uh, that's those are the applications we get most excited about. I think there there is a. Then also, you know, I get excited about. People sometimes think, oh well, this isn't innovative because it's been, maybe another school is doing it. They've already done it. Well, if replicating what works is innovative. Right. So I think so if you have something that that is working and you're able to scale that 
Um, so if it's working in this community, we want to see if we can make it work in, in another community. I think scaling that uh, is something that is innovative and needed. So just a few more questions on your on your personal philosophy, because behind behind every school leader is a mindset that 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 helps you to reach people mm-hmm. that is not developed in a day. John Maxwell says leadership is developed daily, not in a day. So what? From your educational experience in 19 years, like you said, what are two or three books that you would recommend to every every educator? Uh, Shackleton's Way. So one, my, one of my favorite leaders is Ernest Shackleton. Who the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but, uh, you know, they call it the greatest failure. You know, Shackleton was an explorer in the early 1900s when there was a, kind of this this push in the world to reach unreached places that had never been reached and led a, a expedition to, to Antarctica got um, his ship got encased in the ice and and he his he was able to lead his men through an art Antarctic winter <laughs> I want to say that again an Antarctic winter in 19 I believe it was 1914. So they, I think they spent, oh, they spent over a year. So the the ship eventually, the, uh, in the spring, so the ship was trapped in the ice. I could go on. <laughs> I don't know. It's an amazing story. It's one of the most yeah, powerful stories story. in history. You know, uh, he, so he was able to keep keep them alive through the through Antarctic winter, which is total darkness. There is no daylight. So you want to talk about maintaining morale in total darkness in freezing temperatures now they were on the ship and they had heat during the winter then the ice ice flows started to move in the spring and bust the ship apart they had to abandon ship they lived on the ice in tents dragging their lifeboats with them eventually he made a, a voyage with like five four or five other men they made it to um elephant island so and there on on Elephant Island, he went uh, to he basically crossed what is the most treacherous stretch of ocean in an open top boat that they jerry rigged, and then br- brought a steamer back uh, to to rescue the remaining men that he had left behind. All of them survived, and so there's a great book, Shackleton's Way. It's a book that I give to people that I've read a number of times and it's it's basically about his leadership and his uh, leadership style and um, it I think uh, this idea the I often think about being a school leader as like we are on this ship and we are all stuck on this boat and in we total cannot darkness. leave <laughs> and it feels like in total darkness once that daylight savings uh-huh. and then it's just the dead of winter and you're here when it's dark in the morning and you leave when it's dark in the afternoon. It does feel like that. Um, but you are. You're, it's different than, I think, other leadership opportunities. Every, every leadership type of role has its own intricacies and challenges. I think the school, it, it is this, uh, this ship that you're, that you're on. And I, I, try to, I play this metaphor out a lot because you can't get off. You know, you're you're land, you're 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 stuck. I mean, the kids can go outside for recess, and there's other activities, and people come into the ship. Maybe I guess when, but but you are you are there, and you have to you have to steer this thing to its destination. And the people that you have on, by and large, are the people that you're going to have for the for the for the most of the destination, or if not all. And that means the teachers and the students, and you're there with them, and you can will be in large part the determinant of the morale and whether or not you all survive <laughs> or whether you eat each other alive, right. <laughs> which is what usually happens, sure. you know, a typical situation with, uh, with uh, people in these survival stories, not all of them make it out alive and some of them eat the other ones. Mm. And, and I think, uh, you know, this this idea that that we, that school leaders 
um, and, and, and I think what Shackleton did that was genius, he did so many things to maintain morale while at the same time holding people accountable in, in, in ensuring that he was just had his hand on the culture of his, of his sailors and his men at all times and was able to uh, kind of provide the kind of stiffness and toughness at times when that needed to provide it, to be provided provide you know um take on something himself when he knew he needed to take on something to take something off of his men uh kind of there was a, a guy that was driving everyone crazy he had that person come and stay in his tent when they were in the ice flow so he could kind of protect his other men from this person that was really just re- frankly very annoying and about to make them all crazy uh so i think there, there is no one thing that you can do every day. You have to think about all of the people that you're leading, kids, students, families, or uh, kids, teachers, families, and kind of what each group or each individual needs at, at the right time. I have not mastered that by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it's something that I'm always thinking about. Mm-hmm. What, what have I, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing for? Uh, the right person at the right time because it it is is uh, everyone kind of needs something different and so how you differentiate that and and, and, you know that dance is is masterful when it's done right Mm -hmm. is there anyone Alex in your education career that you would call a mentor oh and if so what do they what do they teach you that Uh, I mean I have so I have so many so many mentors um that i mean some some of who have been on this podcast i mean uh eric sanchez is 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 a colleague and a in a in a mentor of mine um from a i think particularly around how to how to drive excellence and culture um dr stein i had the had the really the privilege of of seeing uh (laughs) really not the challenge of being the guy behind Dr. Stein, which is humbling at humbling, humbling, humbling to follow that, that, that individual because he's just such an exceptional leader. Um, but he's someone that I can call at any time and, and say, I'm thinking about this. What is your, and he can just, he, he can just read, just see right into a situation and just kind of knows exactly with confidence, kind of how to, how to steer something. Um, uh, so both of those, I know both of them have been on this podcast and definitely I would consider them mentors. Um, I, I've been really honored to get to know uh, Bill Kobe, the chair of the state board, uh, better over the last few years of being chair of this charter school advisory board. And he's just someone that I think has so much wisdom and he's often quiet in board meetings, but um, you know, I just have gotten to know him and he's just, I think people that have age and experience are people that I can look up to and, and say, you know, watch how they work and watch how they lead. And uh, every, you can learn something from anyone, you know. And, and, and I think having someone, get, just getting to see him in his board role and learn from him has been, has been such a privilege. Uh, my, the, the person that really inspired me to be a principal, uh, Miss uh, Glenda Shedd, the principal of Carver Elementary and in uh in indiana mississippi was was a was a true kind of hero and mentor for me and she really proved to me that you know uh maintain setting setting a clear vision setting high expectations for all and holding everyone accountable um in a way that was fair and 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 um with with love is can just transform a school and she truly, I saw, I was able to be part of a scene of school just become excellent. And to see her do that after having worked in a school that was not at all like that was, was really powerful and really inspired me to, to be a leader uh, or to want to be a, to be a principal. Yeah. And she, she was just, uh, she was also a level five leader, to use Jim Collins. She was not this kind of like charismatic, super. Uh, she was, but she was consistent. She was fair. 
she had high expectations she maintained them she persisted she listened you know she was that quiet determined will just humility and will was just that perfect balance and uh just someone that I've, I've always looked up to so you're standing on the shoulders of giants alex hey that's the <laughs> only way that's the only way you can do you can do it i mean i mean that's you we've uh, we've got to have um we've got to have i think the job of a principal is, is a, it's a lonely it can be a lonely gig sometimes even if you have a great leader i have an awesome leadership team here that I, I really I really value and I feel like we can have honest and transparent conversations and I think good leaders if you have that it's, it's such a gift uh, but it's still the job is still can be lonely so I think you have to have you got to have a cabinet you got to have a kitchen cabinet you got to have people you got to have the bath phone like who's on the bath phone if you're a principal that you can just pick up the phone and call and you know that they're going to answer because they they're a principal too and or they've been a principal and they just know if you're calling like and you say hey i need to talk to you like they're gonna call you back right it's like very soon you know even no matter it's a busy job but there are people that i know if i text them or call them and say can i talk to you about something i need i need you some help like they will call me right back and and when i get that call i you know have people that call me and I'm like, I'm going to prioritize that because I know, because it has been done for me so many times. Um, people that, you know, people like Dr. Stein or, or some of my, my other fellow leaders in other parts of the country who, you know, I know I can call um, and just say, hey, how do you, how have you dealt with this? You know, push me on it. Because uh, you, you gotta you gotta put things outside to people outside of your you gotta get outside people to speak into the decisions that you're making sometimes and i have like whenever i've done that i've never regretted it whenever i've been wrestling with something and then just said okay yeah eric says this a lot um you know is the problem do we have the solution inside the building or outside and a lot of times i think that could go for like your own head it's like, is, do I have this, is the solution for this inside my own head or is it, or is it outside of my head? <laughs> Cause there's a lot of things you can just, you can do and figure out inside your own head. But, but then there's also those things that you're like, I need to go outside. I need to get someone else's perspective on this. I need to get it quickly. Um, Cause a lot of things move quickly. And so I think school leaders have got to have that, you know, three to five people that if you know it's bath phone and you can just pick up the phone and you're like I need to talk to you and they're right on it right away Alex thank you so much for spending some time sharing your wisdom on the principal's office we're all learning Wow. Well, that was amazing. A big thank you to Alex and the entire Healthy Start Academy team for sharing their wisdom and their approach to leading a school. Again, my name is Jeff Gorski from Leaders Building Leaders. We do coaching, training, and consulting for charter schools in North Carolina and beyond. If you'd like to learn anything more about what we do, please check out our website, www.leaders-building-leaders.com, or email me directly. It's Jeff, that's G-E-O-F-F at leaders-building-leaders.com. I hope I hear from you soon.